And I would encourage a room full of young pastors, get proximity to the original. Look at a New Testament church and don't justify reasons. Don't justify reasons to be unlike that. Look at the book of Acts and don't, don't, don't chart that back as interesting, cool history that's back there to just make us excited about what God did, but actually believe for that now. Well, hey, everyone, it's Jason here, and I want to thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Canadian Church Leaders Podcast. I'm really excited to share today's conversation with you. Today, we get to hear from Pastor Matt Tapley from Lake Mount Worship Center. Lake Mount's a church in Grimsby, Ontario, and Matt has been part of the leadership team at Lake Mount since 2003, and he's been the senior pastor for the last 12 years. Now, in our conversation, we didn't get to any of the content that I had planned to ask him about, but I'm thrilled about where the conversation landed. I so enjoyed chatting with Matt. And Matt shared about his journey to senior leadership at Lake Mount, and he unpacked some of the tensions that exist for people who are in leadership in the church, but who aren't in that senior role. And I really believe that this conversation is going to be helpful for a lot of people. And so let's jump into the conversation with Matt Tapley. Well, hey, Matt Tapley, thank you so much for making time to hang out today. It's such an honor to be with you. Absolutely. Great to be with you guys. It's going to be now, good. You are in the booming metropolis of Grimsby, Ontario. Is that right? Yeah, everyone knows where that is. Yeah. And, <laughs> but for the one person that might not, give us a little bit of a picture of where Lake Mount is, where you pastor. And actually, tell us a bit about your whole world, family and sure. the church you're part of. Give us a little bit of a picture of what you're up to these days. Okay. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I'm in Grimsby. So Grimsby is in the Niagara region, beautiful Niagara region of Ontario. And, uh, so, uh, it is basically smack dab in the middle, uh, between the Buffalo airport and the Toronto airport. We're kind of right in the middle there. So, um, yeah, so we're on the edge of Hamilton, uh, kind of, you know, when you think a Canadian context, city of Hamilton, city of St. Catharines kind of wedged in there. So it's uh, an unofficial part of the GTA, the greater Toronto area. Um, so in, in a lot of ways, a bedroom community to there, nice, small uh, feeling, to, you know, 28,000 people. Hmm. Um, but, you know, you can scoot in and out of, you know, Burlington, Hamilton in five minutes kind of thing. So it's a great spot. And uh, Lake Mount Worship Center. Uh, my wife and I, we've been here is coming up on in January. It'll be 18 years. We've been wow. here. Yeah. And, uh, and so when we started, uh, I was part-time, um, overseeing, we called it emerging generations. Uh, so I kind of launched a young adult ministry. It was a part of a network called Tehillah, uh, which was a kind of a young adult network yeah. of ministries across Canada back in the day. Uh, then I, you know, moved full time, became the associate pastor. We had a senior pastoral team. In 2008, I became the lead pastor, and so uh, you know, just we love our church. It's growing, healthy, uh, great people, and mm. so my wife and I, uh, we've been married for 26 years, and uh, so that means I got married when I was seven, right? Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> The reason why, so, <laughs> for those listening audio only, Matt has one of the, some people call it like a youth pastor gifting where you just look, there's two types of youth pastor giftings. There's one where being a youth pastor has aged you really fast. And then there's others who are really called to youth ministry. They just look young for a long time. And you, you do have that 
that I think you've got 10 years on me, but it looks like I've, I've been more weathered by life than you have. And so we're, we're okay with that. Um, this, and that's really, um, a plug for people to look, to watch on YouTube. We're just trying to drive yeah. some traffic to the YouTube version. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I'll sell face cream later. <laughs> hey, and so one of the things actually you mentioned tequila, and I didn't know that was part of your story. Um, mm-hmm. but I've been thinking a lot recently. I heard this line from a pastor in the UK where he said something to the effect of like for his church, he discovered that their destiny was hidden in their history. Huh. And so I've been thinking a lot about what it looks like for those who are longing to see a move of God in Canada yeah. to, yeah. to kind of like look back, not yep. in like a glory day sort of way, but ask the question, what has God done in our nation? Right. And tequila was a really profound thing. And we don't have to spend a lot of time there, but can you tell me a little bit about that tequila movement? I know if I'm right, was it starting Calgary and there's a big move yeah, and some worship and talk, tell me a little bit about it. So, yeah, like Tehila would have started in Calgary at First Assembly. Um, At the time when it began, Tom Morris uh, kicked it off. Then Tom went across town and and started, uh, he planted a church, Westside King's Assembly. And uh, Steve Osmond and Greg Gill kind of uh, took the lead. Steve kind of in the major lead role, assisted by Greg. Um, and their cousins working for their uncle, Ken Gill was the lead pastor. And, and so it's kind of this family dynamic, but, um, first assembly was kind of in, um, in the afterglow, so to speak of a revival season from the Toronto Mm. blessing. And, um, and, and so there was, there was a lot of, um, just a, a strong, passion for worship in the air. You know, Steve Osmond, uh, one of the best preachers I've ever heard in my life, you know, just just such a gift with God's word, um, but a real anointing. And I know that that can sound intangible to certain people, but for me, that's a very real, when there's a, a tangible sense of God's presence on leaders and a movement. And so they really had a desire to build a network. And uh, and so if I understand correctly, um, so Huey Watkins, he he launched Tehillah Toronto, and that exploded. It was, you know, Monday nights back in the day. So let's say the in the late '90s, early 2000s, like just you know, 500, 600 young adults gathering in Toronto, yeah. and so so these different Tehillahs just kind of uh, popped up across the nation. So there was a real, it was a real worship presence of God, uh, preaching conviction. Uh, movement and uh, and was really actually Canada centric. Like there was a mm. real strong Canadian contingent of partners and leaders pulling together. So, yeah, those are some glory days. But there are oh, some lessons so also from 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 some of the you know as that began to uh, you know the, the evolution of it and then the the devolving of it as well. And yeah. so you know because we can we can learn from the pros and the cons, right? And so. Um, yeah, we had an interesting journey with Tehila here when I was when I was mm. leading that. Yeah, mm. it's interesting. I when I was in high school, I wasn't part of a charismatic church at all, but I somehow found got my hands on like a Tehila worship album. And I remember when God was really igniting my heart to love my friends who don't know Jesus, and really like as a high school student, really had my own sort of awakening to time mm-hmm. with God. And I'd like listen to this thing, and I remember being like, "What is this?" And it was just such passion. And then when by the time I kind of was in ministry and connecting with other ministers, tequila had, had kind of fizzled out in that, right. In that, in that, like there's still a tequila gathering and I've 
been able to speak at it in Calgary now, and it's an incredible group of young adults. But in terms of that right. national movement the and movement, what was happening yeah. at that time, that really fizzled in that way. It's just such an mm-hmm. interesting thing to reflect on that there has been these waves that actually are national and and have come and gone. I'm just so interested and longing for God to raise up more things like that that have the staying yeah. power. Yeah, absolutely. And I, th- I think that's where we do well. Um, you know, I think our relationship to the history, to, to our history and to history in general needs to be, um, needs to be well-informed. God doesn't want us looking backwards. God's more excited about our future than he is our past at any given time. Um, but by the same token, God does call us to, to, uh, to take what we can get from testimony, which is a, a prior thing God has done, letting it fuel some fresh faith mm. for what he could do now. Um, but then it's also, you know, it's not original to me, but I don't know who first said it, but, you know, life is too short to make all the mistakes yourself. Um, so we, we have to learn also from highs and lows and, and, yeah. and things that can be learned, uh, you know, from, from highs and lows and, and how things have grown and how things have, um, you know, fizzled, uh, you know, and, and that kind of thing. So, um, but the, the reality is God is the same. And so, mm. There is a thread when I think of when Tehillah was, you know, thriving, say twenty years ago. Uh, right now, I mean, it, it echoes. It echoes the Great Awakenings. It echoes like because because it's young adult, youth, young adult driven, passion, yeah. worship, prayer, um, and and preaching, which seems like a foregone conclusion. But I've seen things try to ride only on worship or try to ride only on hmm. on prayer and 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 and. There is a um, the foolishness of preaching is in God's playbook that He's not removed it, and uh, and there needs to be an anointed declaration of God's word that you know brings conviction and brings truth, and uh, and God will move on it. Hmm. I really appreciate you sharing about that. It's interesting you even connected it to the Toronto airport, and I'm never I'm like I never want to be controversial on this podcast. However, I do feel like I need to mention something. Is that and I, I really hope this honors everyone connected to it that hears this. Um, I, what I heard from the West Coast about Toronto Airport was all skepticism, what's going on there, weird stuff, weird stories. When right. I began to do international ministry, it was amazing. I, I began to hear about people saying this youth movement, tens of thousands yeah. of people, is because 10 years ago, someone from the Toronto Airport came and did this prayer meeting and not just once multiple times and so i've been actually really troubled by troubles might not be the right word but it's just a fascinating dynamic to have something and again it's this idea there's something in the canadian story where we're called to be a blessing to the nations and we had this blip of something that actually was a blessing to nations but wasn't necessarily a blessing in our nation to i I mean i don't want to you, you comment on it. You speak to yeah. it because, and, no, it, and, I, and if this is uncomfortable, we can delete this whole part. But I'm just no. fascinated in 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 discovering part of the story of Canada's uh, spiritual topography. Absolutely, I, I'm glad we're going there because you're not saying anything unique in terms of. I know the horror stories that people talked about. So what you always hear about was I heard they were barking like dogs and clucking like chickens. The, fun, the funniest I, heard I that, ever that heard. is what I heard. Yeah, the funniest I ever heard was a friend of mine from Georgia who said he heard that people would wear adult diapers and, <laughs> and no. then they would, yeah, because they had to be childlike. And I'm like, it's crazy how the rumor mill just goes ridiculous. So <clears throat> the reality is, is 
there were a lot of uh, manifesta- manifestations in the Toronto blessing, as it became known, that were um, unusual, you know, but by any stretch, by any by any count. Um, I think the the problem is when we try to measure fruit by manifestation. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, you know, the manifestation isn't um, it isn't what God was doing. It's a byproduct, and that can be a completely um, I mean, the way I see it, when, you know, when, when God talks about the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in the last days, he says, I'm pouring out my spirit on all flesh, not on, not, he's not pouring out his spirit on your spirit. Mm. Uh, flesh gets involved. And so the way that flesh responds can be, you know, uh, anywhere from, you know, humble, fall on your face to, you know, looking like you're getting electrocuted. And what's the interesting is, to me is even in the, even in the Catholic renewal movement, there was manifestations. It's not just unique to Pentecostals or in this case, vineyard. Um, Mm -hmm. But those are the things that can feel intimidating when you hear about things like this is there's these things that are unusual. Yeah. Well, the challenging history is it started out even as a vineyard church and then the vineyard distanced themselves Hmm. from the Toronto airport church. And so they, they went and started their own movement um, because, because the leader at the time, John Wimber separated himself from what he saw happening in Toronto. He later repented before he passed away. But, um, like part of our history here at Lake Mount is strongly impacted by what God did in Toronto. Um, yeah, the lead pastor who was here at the time in the nineties, um, Terry Bone was the lead pastor at that time. And he went to a pastor's gathering and God did a deep work in him. And, um, you know, credit to Terry. When he came back, he didn't try to import or manufacture. Mm. But literally, part of the cool history at Lake Mount is, I would say, in in the late 90s, uh, Lake Mount as a church, like we're 55 years old on the calendar. Wow. But in the 90s, the church really was born again. The, the church was, I think, at the time, maybe 60 people. And when when renewal began in terms of like just that extended worship presence of God, some of those manifestations, um, you know, they grew to 30 people. (laughs) Like like it was, it was at first, it was controversial, but then God rebirthed something in passion. And, um, and so without trying to manufacture it or make a big deal of the manifestations, I think, um, you know, in that season, Terry did a good job of pastoring people through it. And, um, and so, you know, movements like Bethel, um, the International House of Prayer in um, in Kansas City, um, Holy Trinity, Brompton, Matt Redman, Soul Survivor, Mike Pilavachi, Tim Hughes, guys like this. Like, there's a there's a thread of DNA that goes back to the Toronto Blessing, without totally. a doubt. Yeah, it's so, so fascinating. It's, Soul it Survivor is. in the UK, a lot yeah. of these things were impacted by John Wimber, but also uniquely the Toronto church and um tell me more about lake mount um yeah about, i love hearing like 55 years you obviously know the story you've been part of almost 20 years of it and mm-hmm. um tell me about the story of lake mount and really under your leadership what you've experienced in the journey you're on 
Yeah, so uh, like I said, uh, in in the 90s, I would say really the church was born again. So so Lake Mount was planted in 1965. Um, actually, the founding member just passed away a couple months ago. He hmm. was in his in his 90s, wow. uh, and just you know started in his living room, and he was a part of things right to the very end. Um, and so we That's actually have really to- special. So special, yeah. And so, his, how did you guys honor he, him? You know, towards the end, like you have this guy who like represents the history. What was that like to have him still part of the community? You know what? Uh, what I really his name is John Dalgleish. What I really love about John was um, he personified something like you know you see those people where you're like, I want to be like that when I get older, right? Uh, he just maintained a childlikeness. Um, and he maintained like a hunger, a genuine hunger mm. for what God was doing. Um, you know, it's funny, we were just talking about some of the varying views on the Toronto blessing, that kind of stuff. And it's been said, I know you've heard this before, that often the persecutor of the next move of God is the recipient of the most recent move of God. And John was never that guy. He was always, uh, he was always recognizing. It's like if Tom Cruise is your favorite actor and you see him in five different movies, he could always recognize, even though he's playing a different character, mm. that's Tom. He could recognize the Holy Spirit in a different script. He could recognize the Holy Spirit in a different scene. Wow. And, um, and, and so the challenge about honoring is, uh, you know, this whole COVID-19 season is we haven't been able to even have a proper right. celebration of life oh. yet. And so, um, but, you know, his daughter is a part of our church, uh, has been here for years. His grandson is one of our core worship leaders, one of our deacons. Um, like, there, there's just some cool, you know, connection throughout the, the DNA of the church. Um, so, yeah, it's, you know, started in 65. Um, uh, you know, it's a, started as a Pentecostal Assemblies church. We still remain connected with the Pentecostal Assemblies. Um, and... Uh, again, really was reborn in the 90s. By the time I came in uh, 2003, so January 2003, uh, Terry Bone had resigned, was going into a full-time itinerant ministry. And um, the the church leadership wanted to try a senior pastoral team. Hmm. So a, a, t- a pastoral team leader, uh, an executive pastor, a church ministries pastor, and emerging generations. So there was four of us in a lead team. Then, you know, about a year in, then I became the associate. So uh, in to a certain extent, kind of a, a co-lead, but not really. Um, uh, and so I, I loved it, actually. Like mm. in, the, in the secondary role, I loved it. Uh, but for the guy who was in the senior pastoral team lead role, Mark Griffin was his name, um, you know, what he expressed to me as it was kind of coming, his time here was coming to a close is that he's like, I don't feel like the leader. I feel like a tiebreaker. And, uh, man, there's a, there's a whole thing that God, like a whole journey mm. that God took me on to kind of help me learn a major uh, leadership lesson for when I was approached to take on the lead role, what that would mean for me. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I could touch on that briefly if you want. Tell Tell me about... Yeah, that transition into that lead role in that time, and then what that was like for you. Yeah, so the the final year of the senior pastoral team, um, you know, I, again to the credit of Mark, who was in the the team lead role, he was feeling frustrated about how to express leadership, and and I, with you know, kind of how I'm wired, how I'm made, I was trying to figure out, yeah, what does faithfulness look like? How do I help? How do I serve? So. 
this is going to sound like a really charismatic story. So uh, I was driving. At the time, we didn't have a Starbucks in Grimsby, and so I used to have to drive into Stony Creek. And I, So I was taking the Highway 8 uh, down to Stony Creek, and I drove past Edie Smith Orchards because this is the fruit belt you know, here of just you know, fruit and orchards and vineyards everywhere. And as I'm driving by Edie Smith Orchards, one of those black signs with the neon you know, orange and yellow letters on it, uh, it said pruning workshop you know, on such and such a date. And, you know, call this number to sign up. And honestly, as, as just how I say, I heard God, not like an audible voice. But for me, often the voice of God is like a, a strong thought that is not my own. It's like, mm. like this formed thought of just like, boom, like it was just, you need to go to that. It was so strong. I called my wife on my cell and I was like, I just drove by a pruning workshop. And I felt like God was saying I need to go to it. And so she's like, what's the date? And she writes it down and, and so held me accountable. And so sure enough, I show up at this pruning workshop and it's me in like, you know, back in the day in my skinny jeans with my Starbucks and then all these farmers in like their overalls and work boots and whatever. And so I'm sitting there and this, it was a New Zealand guy. He was, he was this Kiwis teaching on how to prune and I'm taking more notes than I've taken mm. in any conference because I'm hearing on this other level. You know, he's talking about pruning and grafting and all of this. And I'm like, I'm in John 15 in my mind. Like Jesus is like, you know, I'm going to prune you and make you bear more fruit. And I'm just getting all this stuff. So here's this huge leadership lesson that I got that, that solved something for me in the moment, but has become a guiding philosophy in my leadership ever since. So we go from classroom learning out into this orchard we stand next to this cherry tree and he, all of us have pruning shears. And so we're standing there and he picks a volunteer and he points at this, at this cherry tree, not very tall, like a, you know, maybe an eight foot tall cherry tree. And he, he says, which one of those branches, which one of those branches is the central leader, right? So he's looking at this and the, the, the tree, the, the two branches look like my two fingers. Like you can hardly tell a height difference. Mm. He goes, which one is the central leader? And so the guy who's standing there as the volunteer, he's like, I don't know. And the, the instructor, I'll never forget it. The instructor takes his shears and he chops one off. He goes, pick one. And he chops it off. And then he turns and he says, if the tree doesn't know who its central leader is, it'll become confused and it won't bear fruit. Wow. And I was like, wow, that's the answer I need right now. And so I knew what I needed to do at that point as the associate with passion what became clear later was the guy who was in the lead role was feeling transitional. And so he wasn't sure of where to go directionally. But I had all this vision and passion. And, and I realized my best efforts are confusing the church. My best efforts are making this frustrated. Mm. And I need to restrain myself so that his leadership can emerge and he can take this church where the Lord's leading him. And so that that sustained me through the next seven, eight months until he, it became clear to him he was actually feeling transitional into another mode of ministry. And then that became a guiding philosophy when I was approached to take the lead role was we need to disband this, this senior pastoral team and we need to have a clear central leadership, not autocratic, not one guy doing everything, but there does need to be a clear voice of central leadership. And that, that picture just solidified that for me. That's so interesting to me. And I've been thinking and we don't have to go into all this, but the governance model of a church mm -hmm. restricts the types of leadership models that can thrive and enable yes. different types of leadership teams. 
And it's, it's not something to be casual about. It really matters. And so the type of member model you have affects what kind of leadership model you can have at the top. I love that we live in a time where pastors are realizing they don't have to be all things to all people. They don't have to have all the gifts. So there's this like really cool celebration. I know you're connected with MFI. They teach really well on this diversity Mm -hmm. of gifts, mobilizing different gifts, but also acknowledging that at the same time, there is this need for clear leadership. And I just feel like a robust dialogue that you've just, you know, kind of waded into is something that we need to be having in this time because people are realizing, man, I don't have all the gifts. I can't do everything. So I need to build a team around. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, we can't disband every single leadership structure there is. And the type of church you're at, the history of that church will affect what kind of leadership models are possible. Well, it, it seems like a lot of churches tend to react, mm-hmm. uh, particularly if they're in in transition. So let's say they have a lead pastor who's strongly gifted in preaching and teaching, but isn't very personable, isn't very warm. You can almost put money on it that the next pastor they're going to oh, have works. Oh, that's so true. Right? right? They'll get a guy who just works the lobby, but he can't preach his way out of a paper bag. And what happens is they, 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 they react because we, we like this, but we didn't like that. Let's go this way. And 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 I think that's unfortunately just the weakness of going too heavily into a democratic model instead of looking at the biblical model where, you know, there's, there's uh, uh, again, clear central leadership, um, you know, uh, uh, an embracing of fivefold giftings without necessarily fivefold labels because that just freaks everybody out in North America. But an understanding of gifts and grace, um, you know, in North America, everybody's a pastor. It doesn't matter what you do. You're a pastor of so-and-so. Um, but but that that is... Uh, a fivefold pastor is just someone who really loves people. You know, he's a people person and wants to care for them and feed them. Um, but that apostolic gift of setting culture and setting direction needs to be in place. I've always said, you know, I think a a church, a leadership structure is as good as the leader in the structure. Hmm. Um, you know, D- David and Saul had the exact same leadership structure, but incredibly different results. Uh, the, the structure was the same. But the way that they operated within it, you know, Saul, Saul eventually was demonized and mobilized the army to chase the most anointed person in the church, so to speak. Uh, but then David, uh, you know, he's, his first priority is let's, let's capture a city. Let's, you know, like, let's get Jerusalem and let's make that the epicenter for the presence of God. Let's get a city and get the ark. That was the first thing he did and then built his entire kingship around the presence of God built the entire kingship around the the tabernacle of David. You know the ark, which represented the manifest presence of God in that in that dispense, in that time, yeah. and he built everything from there. Hmm. But structurally, it was it's the same. It's just the quality of the leader within the structure. So again, when churches react because of a negative experience, a pastor has a moral failure or whatever, and then it's like never again. Man, you got to beware of the never again statements because. You're not going to attract the right kind of leader. Like a really gifted, you know, anointed, chosen leader isn't going to say yes to a position where he's having to ask permission to go to the washroom. You know, like there there has to be some grace and trust and trust is always a choice. And so when trust is broken, you have to heal and then trust again. It's just there's no option. You, you, You can't thrive otherwise. I want to go back to the part of your story where you were in that number two spot. I feel like this is a lesson that I learned and I want you to comment on it more was being under a great leader and me leading some young adult and youth stuff thinking, 
man, I've got all this stuff to contribute. And actually was like doing other good things inconsistent with what the lead guy was doing, thinking, oh, put all this in a bin and it's all going to be helpful. But realizing like mm-hmm. all of my best efforts to sort of bring those different dynamics or round out the experience for people or take the youth here in alt ministry into a different set of values than the lead pastor taking the church. It, it wasn't that they were like horrible. It just wasn't working. It wasn't bearing fruit. And I just found myself being like, Oh, I need to figure out what the values are of this guy who's great. Right. And it wasn't hard, but we had different values and I want to give myself to, to his values. And then the more I started trying to use his language, his values to lean into the youth ministry, and alt youth ministry, which had different expressions of those values. All of a sudden things began to move. And that, that was a really like slow learn for me. It was late in my ministry career. Now I'm in a lead pastor role and I'm thinking, oh, like, how do I help think that through? But a lot of people listening are in that kind of number two or number three role, knowing mm-hmm. that change needs to happen. Like, right. but trying to be like, man, I feel like I'm hitting a wall. Any thoughts on that, Matt? Or like, you, what, what, what did you learn from your time in that number two role? Oh, that's a, it's a fantastic question because, you know, the unique, the uniqueness of this, the season I was in is that we had a senior pastoral team. So I, it was, it was even more, you know, my status or role or function was even more elevated right. optically and functionally than it should have been. So and you could so, activate things. Like you could actually I could, introduce new values or whatever it might yeah, have been. Yeah. I, I remember one time we went to a leadership meeting. I had a conflict resolution kind of, you know, s- session between some of the people on the leadership. And then, you know, the, the, the leaders began to say, you know, what's the vision of where we're going next? And I'm, you know, I'm just bursting, but I'm, I've already been to the pruning workshop, so I'm bursting just sitting there. And so Mark, the senior leader, he, he pulls me aside in between sessions. He's like, Matt, cast the vision, man, share the vision. Oh, like if I didn't have that pruning workshop to lean on, hmm. like, I would. It, it, I knew from. I had this picture of that prune, those two branches locked in my mind. I knew I'm going to confuse this tree if I share a vision, even though my leader's asking me to. Hmm. And so the reality is, is it's it's about submission and alignment. And so I would say out of that, and kind of to the young leader in that you know secondary tertiary role, like you're saying, I would say like. Uh, a, a, a thing I've kind of developed that I really believe to be true is if you can't buy in, get out. Hmm. If you can't buy in, get out. Because you need to be able to buy into where the leader's going fully. And if you're doing it by faith, that's good. That's submission. Not just, you know, rolling your eyes like, yeah, we're doing this. Like, buy in. Because my probably my top pet peeve, <laughs> if that's fair to say, probably my top pet peeve in in leadership would be when someone isn't fully bought in, but they're still on board technically. So they're not really rowing with you. They're not really helping. They're not necessarily rowing against, but they're just kind of sitting there. They're what we would call dead weight. And the reason why that is, you know, a frustration is because that person can't lose personally. And that means they're playing for themselves. They're not playing for the team. And what I mean is if you can't buy in, so let's just say it's kind of like the pastor casts a vision and the guy in the secondary role thinks this is kind of a bad idea. And so people are like, what do you think? And you're like, well, you know what? We'll see if the pastor can do it, see if he can pull it off. And then if it doesn't work, people come and go, what do you think? You're like, uh, like I said, I don't Told know. Told you so. Told you. But if it works, 
then they're a part of this winning thing, part of this right. winning model. And, you know, well, yeah, well, you know what? We just trust and look what God did. I think what God calls people to do in those secondary and support roles is I think the best thing you can do in a secondary role, bring your A game. Don't save your best ideas for like, oh, I want to be a lead pastor in two years. I'm going to save this sermon series idea. I'm going to save this visionary idea. I'm going to save this social media strategy. I'm going to save, I'm going to, I'm going to kind of, save that here for myself. To me, that's like trying to save mana and Tupperware. It's just going to mold and turn to, to garbage anyways. Bring your A game because biblically, Paul said, whatever you do, do it with all your might as if you were serving Jesus, not people. So serve Jesus. Serve your leader like it's Jesus. Bring your best. Preach your best sermon. Give your best visionary idea. And if you can't buy into where the leader is going, humbly without you know causing a ruckus, just trust the Lord as you transition. He's going to He's going to take. Really, you're taking that opportunity and you're sowing it. You're sowing. I, I had this role. I had this salary. I had this influence, and you're sowing it into your own destiny, rather than pulling against where your leader's trying to go. Wow. I really feel like we need to park here for a little while, and I want to try to tease out the tensions of this because mm-hmm. I um. I know that there are some people listening that are on, in organizations. And you said that line, if you can't buy in, did you say get off the ship or what was the wording you used? If you can't buy in, get out. Get out. If you can't buy in, get out. So some people, they can't buy in. Like they're not there. And there might be a b- bunch of reasons for it. One might be their own emotional health. Like they're just not in a healthy place. So it feels like that. But other reason might be like... I. Okay, how do I, how do we, there's so many ways into this. I want to chat through. How do you know when you're called to be there for the long haul because you're part of the change? So you're struggling to buy in because you're like, you feel like maybe the organization is missing, missing the culture. They're not speaking to the issues of our time. They're using archaic models. How do you know when it's like, and it, it, it rattles you, and especially if you're a leader. Of course, you see the opportunities. You see the missed opportunities, all those things. How do you know whether it's like, this is just difficult, but I'm called here. I need to stay. Or mm-hmm. it's like, no, I really do. I am not, I'm not here. I can't get behind. How, what's the difference there? How do we know? Yeah. No, th- this is great. I, I, think, I think to refine our terms even one more layer is I think you're talking about someone who's in a secondary role with a primary leadership gift. That's, that's a crucible right there. Right. You have you have a primary leadership gift, but you're serving in a secondary role, and that is if if anyone's you know doing fairly well at it, that's that's ma- the majority of youth pastors, for example, um, because they're learning to lead a group and they're learning to communicate to a generation, and there's a lot that can translate from there into senior leadership. I think the real questions come down to ambition. Mm. Um, because ambition can look like it can masquerade as vision, but I would say ambition is out of the soul, uh, whereas vision is, is born of the spirit. Um, and so I think, um, it comes down to ambition. It comes down to submission. Um, and I think, you know, if, if someone in a secondary role right now is thinking, yeah, I can't buy in, but if you're honest, what you're thinking is, and I don't know if my leader's going to hang around. That's dangerous. That's dangerous, dangerous territory. Yeah. Uh, you know, because what you're, you're almost fingers crossed hoping 
that that your leader leaves and then that they recognize you. And to, you know, throw around a, a scary biblical archetype, that's that's really Absalom type of stuff yeah. where you're like, man, I could do this better if I got a shot. Um, and, you know, I, I, I think it's it's about cultivating the right attitude. I would say if you could reverse engineer the ideal for someone in a secondary role, it's just my philosophy for what it's worth. I personally believe that in the apprenticeship season of life, and I don't mean that in a condescending way, but I mean that as while you're learning, like if you're an electrical, if you're an electrician and you're an apprentice, you know everything the electrician knows. Um, and you might even know some new code, some new techniques, some new whatever, but you have to get your hours under a certified electrician. I think ministry, uh, you know, affords us an apprenticeship season. I think that's Paul and Timothy, Paul and Silas. I think that that's the, the apprenticeship season. I think ideally someone should feel, if they can, they should feel more called to who they're serving than where they are or what they're doing. Wow. And so I think because that will help solve loyalty, that will help solve alignment, that will help you. When you say yes to a leader and you align to a leader, then when you trust that leader and they say, you know what, I need to move you from this portfolio to that portfolio, your sense of buy-in to that, to that man or woman, your sense of I'm, I'm, I'm behind you, I'm for you, you see me and you're investing in me, I'm called to you, it solves your objections and, and you have a, a, a culture of trust to sort through what wow. internal transitions might, might mean. So I think if you're like, I love being in this city or I love being at this church because it's such and such a church, there's a bit of reputation or this youth ministry's got, you know, 200 kids in it and so I'm, I'm doing it because I'm here here, you might have just inherited something. You, 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 you might just be cool. Um, you know, like, but there, but I think trying to actually grow as a man or woman of God, it's about getting, you know, every Timothy needs to find his Paul and, and allow someone to speak into your life and align there. I remember watching a clip from, I think it was the 08 Olympics. I don't remember what year it was. And it was the U.S. team, four by 100. They were supposed to win. Last baton pass, they dropped it. And it was just like, it's heartbreaking. And you hear the announcers trying to process, like, what, what just happened? And I think we right. are at, like, a great baton passing moment. It's going to be a decade. That's how long this transition zone will take in Canada. Yeah. And yeah. what's happening is it's fumbling. People mm-hmm. are jumping ship, planting a church because they're frustrated because their lead pastor doesn't have the right social media strategy or uh, reacting off things. And listen, I'm a church planner. Church planning is not a bad thing. If you're called to do it, go for it. But like, mm-hmm. even for me, I had to wrestle in my heart. Like, am I called to this leader? And can he send me, you know? And then right. there's also people in leadership that are toxic senior leaders. And it's like, there's oh, man. not everyone's yeah. perfect. And there's so not, right. some of them just, some of them are good and right and just imperfect. But others are just like, it's, it's just not even the right call. And, and, and so I just think this transition zone is so precarious. You've got a generation of millennials, in some cases Xers, and in some cases Gen Z, who are way more angsty, way more full of vision, in touch with the culture, understand the digital revolution that we've experienced, trying to serve and submit underneath a generation that doesn't understand that language and that framework. 
But at the same time, like, man, if we miss this transition zone, and so every sort of, I just want to suck every ounce of your wisdom in this, Matt, because I feel like you're bringing fresh perspective to the conversation. Um, what are some of the other risks we could have in this transition zone as young leaders are like feeling called to ministry, but might out of angst or opportunity? I don't know. Talk a bit more yeah. about that. I think I think some of the risks are um, assuming that the best idea means you're the leader. Um, wow. You know, like I, I think like what if like, OK, so I mentioned Absalom. OK, like Absalom and Joseph are are two guys in secondary roles with primary leadership gifts who had better ideas than their leader. Okay? Joseph had the he, he, you know he he has he interprets the dream he you know he's like you you need to store up in barns you're going to have abundance and then there's going to be famine and so whatever and the leader is secure enough to say you're right and you're the guy to do it and I'm going to make you basically second only to me here's my ring everyone's going to bow to you you're the dude you're like you're the man that's Joseph he had a better idea than his leader but he served with it hmm. Absalom had better ideas than his leader because the Bible says one by one, he won the hearts of the people in the lobby. You know, like people are walking into church and he's like, so you're going to see the pastor this week? Yeah, what are you meeting about? Well, here's what I'd do if I was the pastor. And one by one, he wins them all over. He had better ideas, but he didn't serve with it. He had ambition on it and he actually laid hold to it, took, took the crown for himself and it lasted like less than a week. Hmm. And he and he was hung by his vanity. I mean, it's it's it it it'd be comical if it wasn't so tragedy. But he he dies by hanging from his big, you know, bouffant of hair hanging right, hanging from a tree. Like the the fact is is I think thinking that you have the best idea makes you qualified to be the leader is is among the most premature assumptions that a that an emerging leader could make that my idea is so good it's got to be the idea and it must mean that I have the vision and I have the mantle and I have the no no like the fact is there are intangible qualities uh to to vision and and to leadership and um you know anybody who's any good at anything makes it look easier than it is Number one, hmm. and number two is that people who are doing bad, it's easy. Okay, it's easy to assume that their weaknesses are more glaring than yours. Yeah, that your challenges are more significant than theirs. That the urgency—it's easy to spiritualize rebellion. The urgency of the hour, the need of the city—you know, this generation's going to be lost. It's easy to spiritualize all that and usurp and move out. But the fact is, is that sometimes. God uses, well, 100% of the time, God uses broken people. God uses, uh, you know, imperfect people because it's all he has to choose from. So he uses us. Um, but assuming that someone who's in the lead role shouldn't be there because your idea is better, that, that's, that's the opportunity to, to bobble that baton in a big way. Um, and then I think challenging the assumption, and I know you're a church planner and I, I respect what you're doing. So this is... No, but I really feel like you should challenge it because I really want to be... Like, I wrestled with this for a long time. I wanted yeah. to church plant for years for the wrong reason. I and, I wanted yeah. to do it better. That's really yes. true. 23-year-old Jason thought he was ready to church plant. And I thought, okay. that, I, thought that I was going to solve problems. And then, yeah. dude, dude, I had a radical meeting with the Lord 
and, and it happened over a season. It wasn't like a, a voice thing. It was a season of events that said, stay where you are. I went to this church. I went to this church. That's great reputation. Great church. I went to marry the pastor's daughter. The lead pastor transitioned out a new pastor who I didn't know. And God was really clear. Like this guy is the man for the job, such a totally different wired. And God get, built us a real friendship and I was able to stay. His philosophy of ministry is different, but I was able to really align. It was the biggest gift because I could have and, and, and he was able to send us and we're friends. He's on my board and it's Amazing. such a different story. Like, yeah. and like, he's the guy I, I can text and say, man, this first <laughs> church plan's hard, man. And like, <laughs> right. I, I, I could have missed all of that. And right. I'm just so thankful that there was a, a te- like that, that I didn't plant when I was 23 that I planted when I was, right. you know, approaching 33. But then on the flip side, like I kind of think to myself, you know, I, I, I chatted, I, I tried to discern the calling. I said like, Lord, like what our country needs as much as church planning is those who will actually stay in the wings long enough, faithful enough. It's actually, it takes more finesse, more art to honor a leader for potentially a decade longer than you feel comfortable. And then to revitalize the church or steward the church, steward the resource, because the resources of of, of a generation are in local churches right now. They're not in church uh-huh. plants. And I just think, so I really like, it's interesting because I, I know the, the journey I've taken, but I, as I think about the macro level of Canada, we need young leaders that don't just plant churches, but actually stay within. And that if planting's happening, it's not happening prematurely. Um, totally. And so I interrupted you. Back to you, man. No, no, no. I, I that, what you're saying is exactly, um, you know, the it, it's kind of the snapshot of what I think the cautions are is I think some some church planting is impatience. I don't want to wait for things to change. And I don't want to lead people through change. The premature assumption there is, is that you're going to have everybody just, if I can plant it, I will have easy people who buy into who I am and will be agile and turn on a dime. And that is never true hmm. because people always change. The other thing that sometimes happens is you end up pl- planting churches that are uh, that look like you, that are demographically, you know, restricted to, uh, you know, a, a younger, hipper, cooler. Uh, you know, we're edgier in these ways. We have looser boundaries on this stuff. We like doing this this way, whatever. But invariably, you know, a young adult church. Inv- invariably, people meet, they get married, they have babies, and all of a sudden, it's not as hip and cool because I can't come all the time, and my baby's crying, and I, you know, and all of a sudden, you're like, oh my gosh, I'm. I'm I'm in the same spot that I just left, but I don't have the legacy and I don't have the history. For me, a great picture of the local church is the people of Israel wandering through the wilderness is, you know, it would be easy to get across the wilderness if you went at the pace of the youth and young adults. Hmm. But that's that's not wow. right. Like that's not how you get everybody together like moving together is the priority of the kingdom i've been saying to our church right now through covid is our goal is not just to get to the other side of covid our goal is to get to the other side together like the whole point is is togetherness and and embracing you know i was talking just you know a few minutes ago about john dalglish 90 something years old helped you know planted the church in his living room 55 years ago and he's an active part of our church family mm-hmm. until he goes to heaven like the fact is I want, I want, you know, babies and seniors and everything in between. I don't want a young adult church or a boom, you know, a boomer or Gen X or whatever. I want the complexion of, 
Uh, you know, I think I want the ethnic and racial diversity that heaven describes, you know, people of every tribe, language, and tongue. I want all generations. I want like what it looked like for the, the people of Israel to follow Moses through a wilderness. I think if we're not willing to saddle up for that, we're not willing to saddle up for local church. We're trying mm-hmm. to build a much quicker, more agile, demographically restrained because we think that we can do something that will really hit the mark. But that demographic, you know, if, if you plant a church with 18 year olds, 10 years from now, they're 28. I know that's obvious, but the fact is at 28, it's different than when they were 18 and their needs and their concerns and then their babies and then their marriages and their divorces and their conflict with their parents. And all of a sudden, everything starts feeling and looking really similar. And if we can have the wisdom Mm. to get passionate for the bride of Christ, you know, you know, years ago, my wife and I, we went out and we helped launch a ministry out west. It was a short season, and it was a major, major lesson. Hmm. And the the major lesson was this was a very different approach to ministry. And in fact, was like, we're not a church. That was the whole thing that was said all the time. We're not a church. You know, send us the, all the people that are in other churches. Come to us, and we'll do evangelism together and whatever. And it was kind of, you know, we're not, we don't have offering plates. We have buckets. We don't have people saying special numbers. We, uh, you know, we just do this. We, and kind of an anti-identity. And one day in prayer, um, my wife came, came out of a time of prayer and she said, you know, I, I was just praying today. And this, again, this is another life-changing word. She said, I felt like God said, the church is the bride of Christ and I'm not looking for another one. Hmm. And that, that's become core conviction in me, is if the church is the bride of Christ, Jesus isn't saying, yeah, I need an upgrade. I'm, I'm not happy with my bride. And I think how we talk about the church, I would, call, I would talk very carefully to you if I had a criticism about your wife. I would need a whole lot more relationship than you and I have right now to say anything critical about your wife. God bless her. I don't know her. So this is just an illustration. She's wonderful. The There's nothing yes. critical that could be said. <laughs> In red letters across the bottom of the screen. <laughs> but you get what I'm saying is totally. like, to, you know, if someone came to me and trashed on my wife, they would have to, they would have to contend with me. They would have to answer to me because that's my wife. And Jesus chose that language for the local church like that this is my bride this is my girlfriend this this so if i can identify where there's a need if i can identify where there's weakness could i have the strength of character to maybe realize that in humility god is calling me to be a part of the change as opposed to just the fault finder who points out there's a problem instead of just saying uh your wife is fat you know how about like hey what if we go on walks together as couples? Like, what if we, you know, like, do you understand what I'm saying? It's probably yeah. a horrible illustration, but you get what I'm saying is, is that how we identify problem, you know, uh, Ezekiel in the Valley of Dry Bones, he sees a valley full of dry bones. That's prophetic. But the real prophetic ministry isn't just seeing the, the worn out condition. The real prophetic ministry is prophesying to those bones and seeing them come back together and the tendons and then keep looking in and prophesying to the breath that it, it becomes an army and mobile and agile again. It's not prophetic to point out flaws. You're not helping the church. You're not helping the cause of Christ at all mm. just to point out flaws and weakness. 
but to see what the solution can be and be willing to be a part of it. That to me, that love for the local church wow. is, that's what we need in every generation. That's what we need across the board. Matt, I had written like four themes and story points that I want to chat with you about. And I haven't got to one of them yet. And <laughs> okay. And so I love that because I've just found this super convicting and helpful and just such fresh language and just such wisdom, such leadership wisdom. And so I'm really grateful for this conversation. And I just want to officially ask you to come and chat with us again uh, because sure. there's things that you know, I want to chat about, but we don't, we didn't have time to get to it. And I want to respect your time and our listeners time, but man, I guess maybe let me end with one question and we have enough minutes. You can take your time with this. If you had 50 young pastors in the room, room full of guys and girls, and, uh, you know, you had an hour to pour out your heart to them today. What, what do you, what's, what's most on your heart today for that, that young pastor that you'd want to share? Wow. I think, uh, you know, kind of in the theme, I mean, you, you cut me, I bleed this, is, is passion for the local church. I think it would be, um, you know, get a good theology, a working theology, not just a high theology, but a functional theology of the local church. Um, start at the solution and reverse engineer it, work backwards from there to to be a, a strong champion of the local church, love the bride of Christ, um, and, and make sure in what you're, um, make sure in what you build, that it's not just what you've seen others do. Hmm. Um, because, um, the, the, the illustration that comes to my mind is when I was a kid, I, you know, you told me before you worked at A&W, uh, and so I, I was telling you, I had those chicken, chubby chicken. And you're like, I know how long that takes in the deep fryer. <laughs> When I was in grade nine, I worked at Home Hardware, Home of the Handyman. And uh, one of my jobs was to cut keys. And, you know, so if you know anything about that, you take a key and you put it, you know, it's, it's, uh, there's a, a guide on one side and then the blade on the other. And you put the blank toward the blade and you put the original key toward the guide and you just push the, the key cutter over the guide and it pushes that onto the, on the blank and you have this, you know, a newly cut key. What I learned was if somebody brings me a copy of a copy of a copy of a copy, eventually, although it looks the same, all the same ridges and grooves and, and it's the right blank, it won't work hmm. because there are microscopic differences over time when it's copied and copied and copied and copied that it can't turn the lock because it's, it's, it doesn't have enough proximity to the original. And... I would encourage a room full of young pastors, get proximity to the original. Look at a New Testament church and don't justify wow. reasons. Don't justify reasons to be unlike that. Look at the book of Acts and don't, don't, don't chart that back as interesting, cool history that's back there to just make us excited about what God did, but actually believe for that now. Look at how Paul challenged, particularly my, my personal theology. I think what Paul outlined um, in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, 14, 15, that strong local church theology where the gifts of the Spirit are in operation. 
Uh, you know, Paul goes so far as to say, how is it that when you come together, someone's got a message, someone's got some songs picked out, there's a prophetic word, there's some gifts of healing and all that. And the rhetorical question is, it's because of the presence of the Holy Spirit. I would say to a room full of young leaders, <laughs> how is it when you come together, if those things aren't there, ask that question. Because Paul was saying, how is it that happens? And he was saying, it's because the Holy Spirit's there. If those things aren't happening, that should put us to our knees. What we need is to have a church that looks like like the original, hmm. cut as close as we can get to the copy, where we're finding ways to have expression of Holy Spirit activity in life in a body of believers, not a performance from the front, not just smoke and lights, not just all that, but how do we have a local church that invites the ministry of the body in the power of the Holy Spirit in ways that don't have to be, you know, charismania, weird, whatever, but also embrace the divine. Because I, I think the, the challenge for today is we're leaving the supernatural out there. We're leaving. People are having supernatural encounter. They're having supernatural experiences. They're just not having them at church. And the house of God is where the authentic uh, supernatural encounter with the God of the universe, he wants to speak. He wants to heal. He wants to meet needs. His presence, he, he wants people to feel him, not just believe in him. The, the, God moves still in ways. And so I would say to young leaders, Cut a template from the original key, and and put that into the lock of Canada and watch it watch watch it pop open. Watch what God wants to do. That in the last days He is pouring out His Spirit. Look for that. Look for God activity, not just what we can do for God, but what God wants to do in partnership with us. Wow! Thank you so much for your time today, Matt. Well, I want to say a huge thank you to Matt for sharing with us today, and we're really looking forward to having him on the show again in the future so we can get back to all those questions I had prepared in the first place but didn't end up getting to because we're distracted by such meaningful and interesting conversations. So as always, if you want to find links from the conversation or get to know Matt a bit more or view some video content from our time together, you can find all of that at our blog online at cclnca slash blog. And I want to say thank you to you, the listener, for tuning in today. We really hope these conversations serve you in your personal walk with Jesus and ministry journey. That's really the heart of this podcast and the Church Leaders Network, to share real stories of leaders in the church doing meaningful work. And we hope that they spur you on in your unique calling wherever you are. And we'd love to hear from you too. You can reach us at contact at ccln.ca. Okay, that's all we have for you today. Please like or review the podcast if you haven't already. It will help other people who might be encouraged by this content discover it for themselves. And we hope that you can tune into our conversation next week. All right, bye for now.